Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. I am Miri Eisen, sitting in for Jonathan Hessen. In the 1970s, Iran was openly allied with the United States and less openly with Israel. The Shah was tasked by Washington in helping Saudi Arabia from falling into the Soviet orbit. Decades later, Iran is hostile to America and Israel alike, and Saudi Arabia is openly allied with Washington against Iran and less openly allied with Jerusalem. And now, a deal between Riyadh and Tehran, brokered by Beijing, which seems to have once again changed the contours of the Middle East. Is that really so? Has the American pivot to the Far East given China, as well as Russia, an opening in this region? And if this move is not merely tactical and reversible, should Israel be concerned or encouraged by it? To analyze this, we are joined by Colonel in the Reserves, Ruven Ben Shalom, TV7 Powers and Play Panelist, Cross-Cultural Strategist, and Associate at ICT, Reichman University. Welcome. Thank you, Mir. We are joined by Dr. Meir Javed Danfar, Iran Lecturer at Reichman University. Welcome. Thank you. And, of course, with our own Amir Oren, TV7 Editor-at-Large. Amir, take us into these changing events of Saudi Arabia and Iran. What is this about? So when you uh, talked earlier about uh, tactical and uh, reversible, uh, what came to mind was the 1975 uh, Shatel Arab agreement between Iraq and Iran. Um, uh, hopefully the conflict uh, is over and now uh, they'll be friends forever. Five years later, Iraq attacks uh, Iran and there starts uh, an eight-year war. So uh, what uh, lies in the future, we, uh, even we here at TV7 uh, don't presume to know. But uh, for the time being, let's christen it the Ibrahim Accord. This is um, an agreement between uh, two Muslim countries, a Sunni one and a Shiite uh, one, and obviously the two leading uh, powers um, lapping the uh, either Persian Gulf or the Arabian Gulf, depending on uh, your point of view. And perhaps even the most important point here is brokered by Beijing. The fact that China has been able to mediate between these two powers, perhaps under the nose of the United States. Uh, one may presume that uh, the intelligence services of various countries got wind of what was in the works, but whether they could guess that it will come to fruition and what will happen now remains to be seen. So, Amir, what you're taking us into is to two different things we're going to explore right now. I'm going to start, first of all, with you, Riven, in that sense, because I want to explore that Chinese aspect, and then Mayer will be coming over to you to talk more about the Iranian aspect. But China in this arena, 
We're not used to seeing China in a diplomatic role in the Middle East. When we think about China, we think about infrastructure, we think about dams, we think about construction, perhaps we think about the great Silk Road and the different roads into this area. Bring us into what China is doing right now in that sense in brokering a diplomatic agreement. Mm. Well, China has strategic goals and they declare them very clearly, a long-term goal that they promote very vigorously. And I think every aspect of what China needs and wants in the region is promoted by such an agreement now. And by the way, not an agreement, deciding to open embassies in two months and who knows if, even if that will happen. But certainly China, what they want is stability. First and foremost, to do business in the Middle East, you want stability. The more you have wars and clashes, the less you can do business. Second, we're talking about two partners for China. That certainly, uh, their commerce with them is very important for China. And strategically, China is trying to bolster its image as a, as, a, as a power, as a global power, to challenge the United States carefully, and certainly being perceived as an international broker now that can bring these parties to the table, this bolsters their image. So I think in every aspect, you can see this will be positive for China. So we have it here in that sense of what's good for China. Mayel, I want to go across and talk about what is good here for Iran and Saudi Arabia. When I look at it right now, and I'm going to use what um, Amir just offered for us, we're going to have the Ibrahim Accords as opposed to the Abraham Accords. So I don't know that it's really accords to that degree. But Mayor, what do you see right now Iran gaining from this new opening of a relationship with Saudi Arabia? They've exchanged such blows in rhetoric. They have been so on two different sides, let alone in Yemen and probably in Iraq. You have the Shiite Sunni divide. So what is Iran's interest? How would you portray that right now that they're so interested in this agreement? Uh, I think first and foremost, because uh, the Iranians didn't want to say no to China. China plays an increasingly important part for, uh, for Iran in terms of its diplomatic power and economic power. And although Iran has very close relations with the Russians, uh, post-Ukraine uh, invasion, uh, Russia is far weaker diplomatically and economically. This accentuates the strength of China's diplomatic and economic uh, prowess, and this is something that's very important for Iran. So when the Chinese came up with this offer, I think, especially at this juncture where Iran is so isolated and its economy is doing so badly, it was difficult for Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khamenei to say no to the Chinese. It would, have, uh, it would not have uh, served his regime's interests, especially now. I think another reason why the Iranians uh, agreed to this, uh, to this uh, new accord is because they want the channel Iran International closed. This is a channel that was started with Saudi money. Many people, um, especially the regime downplayed it as, as instead of Iran International, they called it Saudi International. They called it the puppet of the Saudis. But as a matter of fact, the, 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 the channel has uh, is increasingly gaining viewers in Iran. It's increasingly gaining um, uh, legitimacy in Iran, credibility in Iran, because it's much more hard harsh against the regime's abuse of human rights than other Persian language channels, such as BBC Persian or VOA Persian. And also its, its staff is former a lot of former BBC Persian people or reporters who used to be in Iran or who have since left. 
And this really worries the Iranian regime. And, uh, and I think this is another hope the Iranians have, uh, is, that the, is that the Saudis, as a result of the new accord, either tone down, the Iranian international tones down its uh, criticism of the Iranian regime, or the Saudis close the channel altogether. Uh, whether that will happen will depend on a lot of factors, um, which we can dis uh, discuss later in this panel. So what I'm taking from you, Mayor, is that this is kind of a win for China, absolutely, and even in that sense, perhaps for Saudi Arabia. And I'm looking at us here, and as we're talking also with Mayor, and I'm thinking, okay, so where's Israel in all of this? Because at the end, we're sitting in Jerusalem studio, and I'm sitting with myself and thinking in the last few months, certainly this government and the former one talked a lot about Israel having better relationships, perhaps in the future with Saudi Arabia, in that sense of the Abraham Accords expanding to Saudi Arabia. And then we get the, again, Amir, you get the coining for that one, the Ibrahim Accords. Does that make it possible? So let's dive into Israel coming into this issue. What is this doing as far as Israel is concerned? So it was always an illusion that Israel could have better relations with anyone in the region, including the various Gulf countries, without real progress on the Palestinian track. And we have seen uh, two and a half years ago, in September of uh, 2020, when uh, the uh, accords with the UAE and Bahrain and the others were um, announced, that Israel or the Netanyahu government uh, of the time had to give up uh, its dreams of uh, uh, trying anything on the West Bank, um, be it uh, uh, expanding uh, uh, settlements, um, and right now, we see that Saudi Arabia, which for the last 20 plus years has been quite angry with the various Israeli governments for not accepting the Saudi initiative. That's already 21 years right, ago. Of, of 2002, um, the Saudi government uh, wished Israel to do something for it vis-a-vis um, -vis the Palestinians and especially in Jerusalem. Uh, which for the uh, uh, Saudis um, uh, has uh, a special uh, place. But also, if one looks at the Iranian threat, as seen from Riyadh as well as from uh, Jerusalem or Tel Aviv, the Saudis um, have uh, very coldly analyzed the situation, and they know that if Iran were to retaliate for an Israeli or an American or a combined strike against them, even without the participation of Saudi Arabia. But nevertheless, if the Iranians unilaterally decide to strike back at Saudi Arabia, even without being stricken by Saudi Arabia, the Saudis will be almost helpless. We have seen it almost four years ago at Aramco, when the uh, uh, Saudi facilities were hit uh, by Iranian missiles and um, um, UAVs. And um, obviously, whatever the uh, so-called um, enhanced deterrence or integrated defense by CENTCOM, by the Central Command, having um, anti-missile missiles at place and early warning stations, this will not be able to protect the kingdom um, and all of its assets. So better cut a deal with the devil. 
So here we are, okay? The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia not really getting assets from it. Um, the Iranian Islamic regime from a point of weakness. And I come back again in that sense, and I'm going nuclear. I'm sitting here as an Israeli. We have a tendency to overwhelmingly look at Iran through the nuclear eyes. And China made a kind of sub-suggestion that this agreement between the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the Islamic regime of Iran is the best way to stop the nuclear capabilities of Iran. And yet you're saying here Saudi Arabia is at a disadvantage and won't be able to defend itself. So how does that bite into it? What happens right now? Does this impact the nuclear issue? Does it impact Israeli um, trying to do something? Would we have flown over Saudi Arabia and now we can't? I mean, I'm trying to wonder for our audience here, what does that mean for us about the nuclear Iranian issue? It just shows how complicated it is and that you can't look at any aspect like this in one prism. Uh, and also, uh, I'll say again that I don't think this is some kind of breakthrough or agreement. Uh, there's an ebb and flow in the relationship between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And let's face it, they are rivals. They are enemies. The fact that they now decided to open embassies or reopen embassies after they closed is just another uh, you know, point along the road of bitter enemies and rivals Yet we in Saudi Arabia are not enemies and rivals. In a way, we are partners or we are aligned on the same side. We see many things eye to eye, yet they can't overtly be our friends because of the Palestinian issue. And we all understand that there are back channels and things happening under the radar. So this doesn't change because they decide to open embassies. Also, from an Israeli perspective, I think we usually make a mistake to think they're you know good guys, bad guys. Wait a second, they're opening embassy with them. I thought you're with us. It doesn't work that way. You mentioned the nuclear aspect. Also here, let's remember that this is a very important issue, but it's not the only one. China does not want to see a nuclear Iran for sure, for, because of what I said before. Why would they? Why would they want to see a regime like Iran with nuclear weapons? Remember that Saudi Arabia is also seeking nuclear capabilities, not necessarily weapons yet, but nuclear uh, energy. And also that all plays into it. General, all, all I can say here is that what we see is, is a certain point of stability in a map that did not strategically change yet. So here we are. Okay, a little bit Iran, nuclear, Saudi Arabia. And may I come back to you and I'm wondering to myself about the significance also of the timing. Um, Ramadan is supposed to be starting soon. You never know exactly when. And I'm looking at it for a moment at what I want to even call, as we said before, the tactical level or the immediate level, Saudi Arabia, Sunni country hosting two such important center, Muslim religious shrines, Iran, largely Shiite country. And on the eve of Ramadan, they're arriving at an agreement. Does the Islamic aspect come into this at all? Is that something that the Iranian regime, out of that point of weakness that you pointed out before, that the Iranian regime can kind of use that on the eve of Ramadan, they're doing something which enhances Islamic cooperation? I mean, I'm fishing here, but I'm wondering if there is something that has to do with Islam, with Ramadan, between these two large countries. Uh, I don't think so. I think this is more about Iran first and foremost managing its relations with China. Um, whether this deal is sustainable, um, looking at it from an Iranian point of view, we have to see whether the whether the Iran in Iran there's a dual system. You have the regime which is ruled by the supreme leader, and he appoints 
the head of other regime bodies such as the IRGC, and they have their own economic empire and their own political empire. And then you have the government. The government is subservient to the regime. Now, it's the regime that's responsible for Iran's foreign policy and Iran's influence in the region, especially. Now, I ask myself, is the regime now, because of its relations with Saudi Arabia, going to give up its completely its influence in Yemen? Is it going to change its policy in Iraq because the Saudis want to see change in Iraq? Is the Iranian regime going to, is Hezbollah going to cooperate more with Saudi interests in Lebanon? Is, is the deep state, is the regime in Iran going to cooperate with the Saudis and Syria? Doing so would cost the Iranian regime inside Iran a great deal of economic interest and more importantly, political influence. Is the Iranian regime, is the willing to pay such a high price? So I need to ask you in that, because that's such an interesting point, go back to China a moment. What Reuven had said before is that China does not want Iran to be nuclear. Perhaps, and again, I'm putting it as a question, if China says to Iran, you can't go nuclear, suddenly we found a path that others didn't find before of stopping Iran from becoming a nuclear power. I'm asking, not saying. For sure. For that to happen, the Chinese will have to force Ayatollah Khamenei to say that Iran carried out illegal activities at three different nuclear sites in Torghozabad, which is one of them which Prime Minister Netanyahu pointed out at the, in the UN a couple of years ago. Because that's the pre- precondition to, for returning to the, to the nuclear deal. President Biden wants, to, uh, wants Iran to answer the questions regarding these sites. Iran has not answered them. He's not willing to answer them. Will the Chinese be able to do that? I'm not so sure. But Miri, if I may, if I may, if you'd allow me one minute to be optimistic as an Israeli here, there are also opportunities for Israel in this in this crisis, which which is everybody in Israel is worried now because of the New Deal, because of China's uh, new role as a mediator. Israel can also play a part. Israel can pressure the Chinese to the to the Chinese. Israel is an important country in the region. Israel can pressure the Chinese to get the Iranians perhaps to do things that the Iranians don't want to do. Uh, And also the Saudis can pressure the Chinese. Saudi Arabia is tremendously important to the Chinese. And I think uh, this Chinese media, the role of a mediator will not come free. It's not a freebie for the Chinese. They will have to pay a price for it, especially if they want to maintain their credibility. So there are opportunities also in uh, in this new situation. Amir, do you, I mean, I'm very fascinated by what Mayor just said, because I don't see the opportunities, perhaps, in that sense. But I really want to take it back. Does Israel have this kind of capability to impact and ask China in that way? And again, going back to the quiet relationship that Reuven was talking about before, how do you impact Saudi Arabia without doing it overtly? So for um, the last decade or so, uh, when uh, people, especially in Mossad, were asked is there any way uh, to get a secret dialogue with Iran regarding the at least reduction of enmity, of hostility, uh, to get the Iranian regime to announce that they are giving up their dream of eradicating Israel from the map in exchange for Israel coming out and clearly saying we are not trying to get the Shah or his uh, um, successors to power in uh, Tehran, we are not going for regime change. Because 
the main, the main uh, motive, the main incentive for the Ayatollahs to go nuclear is regime survival. They know that if they have nuclear weapons, if they cross that threshold, Israel will strike, regardless of all other um, factors. So they are not going to do it uh, in, a, in a precipitous way. But uh, going back to your question, uh, up to now, the Israeli government was not willing to get an agreement with Iran, even had the Iranians been willing to consider it, which they were not, apparently. But Israel was not going to do it because the price would be too high. So it was a moot question. But now with China, as a possible mediator, yes, new avenues are open, as long as the Israeli government will be open to new ideas. Reuven, how do you see this issue of China as a mediator bringing Israel into the room? There's economy that comes into that. Do you think this is something viable that we're talking about here? I think that every time we talk about Israel, we have to remember our place and our size and our impact. We are a small country. Also, in our internal dialogue, we make this mistake. As soon as this news erupts, Israeli politicians, their rhetoric is as if we influenced it. Of course, Israeli politicians will bl always blame each other. You made this happen. Oh, you made this happen. We didn't make this happen. We are a small player here. Yet certainly we are a, we are a player in the region. Another aspect I would want to mention is this perception that the United States has left the region and this void has been filled by China. So uh, it, there is a perception like that, but the United States didn't leave. Even, I would say, strategic, mili strategically, militarily, we have CENTCOM that Israel came under its wings. And there is more and more this concept of a regional uh, stability, viewing Iran regionally as a threat. And you see a lot of exercises. You see assets. I stood on my roof yesterday and I watched a, an American B-52 pass well, over Israel. Only you would know it's a B-52, right? Okay. <laughs> accompanied by an Israeli F-15. We understand that there is strategic alliances. Did they wave to you personally? <laughs> Unfortunately not. We understand what's happening here. We understand the potential. Even understanding how technology works and the threats that can be posed to Israel. The fact that we in the United States CENTCOM are other partners in the region, in the Gulf, and even Saudi Arabia can together mutually analyze intelligence, prepare for threats, all this is much more larger and much more important than a specific decision now to open an embassy. I'm, I'm sorry that I'm always trying to downplay what's happening and downplay our role in it, but we do play a role. We do, absolutely. And Mayor, as I come back to you in that sense, I'm fascinated by what you also said before and not saying no to China, but about the stability and to a certain degree about the weakness of the Islamic regime. And I'm just wondering in that sense as we look at that, so Saudi Arabia and Iran, what do they have in common that they're actually going to do beyond what Reuven said before of opening embassies? Do you see this in any way going beyond that symbolic act or actually have having additional cooperation? I, I don't see it, to be honest with you. And also, uh, the, another reason why I don't see it, apart from the fact that I think there will be resistance within the Iranian regime uh, for moderation of, of its behavior in the region, is the fact that whether, you know, despite China's recent diplomatic victory, the United States remains and will be Saudi Arabia's most important economic and security partner. I think, you know, what the Saudis are doing now reminds me of what the Shah did in 1962. 
after the Shah viewed the Soviet Union as Iran's uh, sworn enemy, and he was right. And he, the Soviet Union was the was the sworn enemy of the Shah's regime also. But in 1962, the Shah reached a deal with the Soviets, improved relations with the Soviets, and then started using the Soviet card to pressure the Americans to give him more weapons and to support him in other areas. I think more, this is more than about Saudi Arabia wanting to improve relations with, the United, with Iran. I think the Iranians, just as the Shah used the Soviet card to, get, to extract points from the Americans, I think the Saudis want to do the same with the, through their relations with Iran, to get more things from the Americans in, in, in different areas. I think this is, uh, this is an exercise by the Saudis to improve their leverage. I'm, I don't think the Saudis have forgotten what the Iranian regime did to them in Abu Ghraib, in the oil fields and all the other, all the other areas. I don't think they've suddenly woken up and, uh, with amnesia. I think this is more about improving their leverage. I don't think it's going to go. This is not this relationship. It will not go beyond opening embassies. So here we are, Saudi Arabia and Iran in this new year, in that sense, on the eve of Ramadan. So what is this leaving with us? I'd love to hear um, our last thing here, just your comments on how you think. Is that good for Israel? Is it bad for Israel? And let's think about this towards our end. Please, Amir, I'd love to start with you. Peace in the region is good for Israel. It is not as if two enemies of Israel uh, are now collaborating against it. Um, they are improving their relations. And uh, fortunately, we are long past the time uh, in the early 70s when an Israeli general, when told that the Saudis and the Gulf countries have the oil, said, yes, but we have the lighter or the match. So they should be beware of us. Uh, we should not be the madmen of the Middle East. Ruven? I also agree. I see it in a positive light since the main vectors have not changed. The main rivalries have not changed. All this means is another uh, even maybe avenue for dialogue, a little more stability. Looking at Yemen and the Houthis that have been strongly supported by Iran, maybe there we'll see a reduction in violence. And remember, they also threaten us. They threaten Israeli-associated ships in the region. I see this in a positive way. So we have Reuven, we have Amir. Meir, how would you see this? Is it good? Is it bad for Israel? Um, I think, again, I agree with my colleagues in the studio, but I think what, what we in Israel should focus on is improving our own standing in the international community and in the region. Um, and unfortunately, I see the current government doing the opposite. Wow, those are heavy words in that sense. Emil, when we look at that in our last words and the present government? Well, we, we should remember that China is a party to the JCPOA, and we know that uh, President Biden and others said that this is off the table, but they can always bring in another table, perhaps made in China. How interesting in that sense. So let's think about it. We have China, we have Saudi Arabia, we have Iran. I don't know that we've arrived at a resolution, but I hope that we have been able to share with you a better understanding. I want to thank my guests here in the studio and mail, and thank you and shalom from Jerusalem Studio. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.